Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange Podcast. Stories by leaders for leaders to help you raise the bar on your own excellence to release the potential inside of you. Now, here's today's podcast. This is Hugh Ballou. It's Tuesday at two on the East Coast in the United States. This is the Nonprofit Exchange, episode 337. And we've we've talked to some interesting people over the last eight years. And each week, it's a great surprise to me. And I've got a new friend here, Robert White. And our favorite topic is leadership. And it encompasses a lot of things. But we're going to focus on some key things today. But first... Um, if you want to find us, it's thenonprofitexchange.org, T-H-E, nonprofitexchange.org. You can find all of those episodes there. Before we get into the topic today, it's living an extraordinary life. Robert White, tell people a little bit about who you are and your passion for this work that you do. Well, you know, thanks for uh, <clears throat> inviting me on and, and with this uh, incredible organization that you head up and, and the incredible audience that you generate uh, are people that I admire, I respect, and that I want to contribute to. Uh, my history has been kind of in three chapters. I, uh, I grew up in a, a challenging situation of abuse and neglect and poverty, <clears throat> and uh, I decided I didn't I never wanted to be poor again. So that led me into a lot of early entrepreneurial efforts and, uh, uh, and accomplishment. And then, uh, so that's kind of chapter one. And I was actually chosen as most likely to succeed by my 300 person graduating class. And uh, that, that happened mostly because at 17, I had the highest rated radio show in the state of Wisconsin. Uh, because that was my audience, my fellow teens, playing music uh, nights and weekends. The, uh, uh, so looked really good. I spent the next 10 years after that uh, wonderful honor making them wrong. So by the time I was 27, I was married and divorced. I felt horribly guilty about that. I had a heart condition where they said I wouldn't live past 35. And I had a little business that was struggling. So my life was a mess. And a friend of mine uh, persuaded me to attend one of the early human potential movement seminars. And it's a, it's a cliche all these years later, but uh, it changed my life for the better. And uh, <clears throat> my business got better, my life got better. And it led to my, uh, uh, first of all, joining that company that sponsored that seminar. Uh, and serving as the president of that company for four years. Uh, the, uh, it was called Mind Dynamics, and it sourced a lot of the people that have become kind of famous in that industry of transformational training. And uh, a great experience, and I learned so much. Uh, the ownership changed, and it didn't work for me. So I resigned. I formed a company called LifeSpring. I later sold that company, moved to Asia, founded a company called Arc International that became the largest training company in Asia and the second largest in the world. Uh, so that was like chapter two <laughs> of my story. Uh, I lived, I've lived abroad 23 years of my working life and I've, I've traveled a lot internationally the, the other years. So <clears throat> that was that piece. 
at 46, I retired, kind of, uh, and uh, moved to Aspen, Colorado. I skied 60 to 80 days a year. I raised four great kids, two, two birth children and two adopted special needs kids. I uh, was on six nonprofit boards, which is one of the reasons I was attracted to being in conversation with you. I, uh, I traveled for six months with the late John Denver, presenting an environmental uh, education program around the world. Uh, I had just an incredible, incredible experience. And then I lost it all. So that brings me to chapter three. I work with executives uh, of uh, uh, medium to large companies, the uh, entrepreneurial efforts, but also conventional companies that are up to something good. And uh, I work with their executives on becoming more focused, more aligned, more committed, and more effective in their work. So what was the catalyst for that turnaround? You had a really rough beginning for your life, and many people would go on being wounded or victim, playing the victim, but you pivoted with that. What was the significant thing that helped you change your mindset? I guess that's the key thing is changing your mindset, isn't it? Yes. I... Uh... I could have, at that point, I could have described my mother as, and, and it would have been true, as angry and violent and uh, not essentially liking children, even though she had many of them, and uh, uh, which always puzzled me. But the other thing was, my mother was widowed three times. You know, the, the family joke was that it was her cooking. Uh, <laughs> but... <laughs> That's a terrible thing to say. Yeah. Uh, but uh, my father was the third uh, of her husbands. And uh, she got food on the table. She got clothing on our backs. She got a roof over our heads. And I never heard her complain. Not once in all those years. And all of that loss and all of that pain and and. And, uh, you know, my father was an alcoholic and she never complained about that. She just went to work every day and she took care of us. And what I got from the seminar was that I, I should have already learned from her something called personal responsibility, that there was no one to blame, including her, that my life was my life. I have a friend named Arjun Sin, who's an expert on branding and crisis management, sophisticated kind of stuff for some very rich people. Arjun says that he always wants to be reminded that he is one of one. And uh, what I got in that seminar is I'm one of one. God gave me some gifts. If I'm not using them, that's dishonoring the gift. And that uh, if I take personal responsibility for my life, if I get off the blame, shame, regret wheel, that things are going to get better for me. And they did. That's great. We we have um, we have challenging times we lived in, but you know, I read some some ancient scriptures out of the Bible every day with my wife, and it's like reading current events. So it's nothing new in the world, and it's how we how we handle it. It's not what happens to us. I guess if the the um, quote about success is when you get up one more time than you fall down. And James Allen in his little book, As a Man Thinketh, said, uh, "I'm going to." paraphrase this, uh, people want to change their circumstances, but are unwilling to change themselves. They therefore remain bound. So what was the most important learning you had to break through professionally and personally to where you are now? 
you know, I, uh, I don't know where it came from, but something as I look back in building these companies uh, and now more recently doing one-on-one -on -one work with executives is I'm a good learner from experience. Uh, I generally tend not to do something twice that didn't work. And if it did work, I do more of it. And, and that's, that's such a simplification. Uh, you know, there's a line in my book, uh, uh, which is living an extraordinary life, uh, that gets most commented on by interviewers. And that is, life is simple. This does not mean it's easy. And, uh, you know, the, the, the Canadian psychologist that's so popular today, uh, Jordan Peterson, says that life is tragic. And our job is to figure out how to handle the tragedy. Uh, and uh, uh, the Buddhists, Buddhists talk about life being all, all life is suffering. That's a hard one for me to accept, but I kind of get what they're talking about. Uh, life is not easy and learning to handle it uh, can pay huge dividends. Pretending that it's complicated and that the answers aren't there. You know, the, the, uh, the Bible, Lao Tzu, Confucius, They've been teaching us this stuff for thousands of years. <clears throat> it's simple. It's just not easy. We want it to be complicated and easy. It's exactly the opposite. So the big thing for me, you know, you, uh, Alexander Everett was the founder of that company, Mind Dynamics, and my boss for that four years working for someone else. And Alexander liked to take words and, and talk about uh, their deeper meaning and where they came from. And, you know, if you take that word responsibility and separate it into response ability, that pretty much captures it, that we can't control all of the circumstances of our life, uh, the, the potholes and the road, the pain points, the things that didn't turn out the way that we wanted them to. But we can control how we respond. You know, my, I, I don't like talking about somebody else's book as being my favorite book, but it is a man's search for meaning. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, in that book, you know, that was written by a, a, a guy with a number on his arm, uh, you know, a concentration camp survivor. Uh, and, and, and it's all about response. How do you react to the things that are happening in your life? And learning that, that or beginning to really learn that, at 27 years old really changed my life. Wow. Wow. That's profound. Yeah. I, I have a list of favorite books beside the fact that I've written 12. There's some, I don't, I don't think we have all the wisdom and I like to quote, I'm a conductor by trade and Ralph Vaughan Williams, the British conductor composer said, music did not reveal all of its secrets to just one person. We could say about that about leadership, um, about many topics. So uh, <clears throat> before we went on the air, you were talking about a seminar that you did in the past with uh, executives, corporate executives, and you would gift some spots to clergy and nonprofit leaders who are basically our audience here, and they could learn from each other. What are some of those things? That's sort of a collaborative learning opportunity for people. So what are the kinds of things that leaders can learn from each other from different segments that are generic leadership traits? I, you know, all leaders, profit or nonprofit, organizational, religious, uh, it's, it's a, uh, uh, 
it's a role that generates loneliness. And I'm saying that, you know, you can be alone and not lonely. I, I understand that distinction. But uh, leadership uh, is, is generally is taking a stand for something that is new, that is not fully accepted, that where you don't get a lot of support all of the time. And what it generates is that feeling of being alone. And sometimes that descends into loneliness. No one understands me. No one understands what I'm up against. Nobody, nobody really gets how difficult this job is. And uh, uh, I, I don't even want to embrace the title of leader. I'm just here to coordinate something. You know, all the kinds of craziness that our mind makes up around this essential thing that it's not a very comfortable place to be sometimes. And uh, uh, what I learned from having those nonprofit leaders and clergy in those trainings as our guest is first of all, they contributed immensely to the 25, maybe 30 uh, corporate executives that are in the room. Because the, the, the great thing about your audience is that they are passion, purpose led. That's what motivates most of them in my experience. They wanna contribute. They wanna do something great for the world. They see, they see a problem and they do something about it and they step into these roles. Uh, but that learning went the other way in that the nonprofit leaders learned from the corporate executives that there is a structure to good leadership and, that, and some skills and a way of being that makes them more effective or less effective depending on how they apply those skills, that, that state of being. Um, but I think one of the biggest lessons that I saw is, is you know, it's the simplest thing that uh, you are not alone. Uh, leaders fall into that loneliness thing and think there's nobody they can talk to, and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. But finding out there are other people that share your struggles, other people that share your successes, that, that share your your problems, the issues you come up against, and learning from them and just being with them is incredibly valuable. So one of the things that I did not practice as well as I would have liked in, in, in founding and leading these two training companies, I mean, we were successful, a million 300,000 graduates worldwide, uh, and made a lot of money and, and uh, a lot of, I guess, fame and uh, reputation, acknowledgement, all of those things. But one of the things that I didn't do was associate, I'm kind of a lone wolf. I didn't reach out for help as much as I needed to. And that learning came from failing and, and finding out that I didn't know everything and that uh, we are social beings. I needed to be with people like me. Uh, I needed to be in uh, a witness to their struggle and they a weak a witness to mine, and uh, but also to my successes, and uh, and ever to, to the whole uh, picture of, of my life, I needed to share it, and I needed to hear other people's point of view. I was pretty good at that actually with our client, especially with our clients, uh, the, especially corporate training clients. But uh, I think I think dealing with that sense that you're alone, that nobody ever had these problems that you have, I think that's actually central to uh, development as a human being and being more effective in running the organizations that we run. 
you've just modeled one of the um, the key leadership traits that I I advocate for is transparency. Doesn't mean you whine about things, but it all it means that you're very open. And as a keynote speaker, people introduced me as a, an expert on leadership, and I used to say, no, 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 I'm a serious student of leadership. I heard Bob Proctor say that at 77. You know, I got a lot more to learn, a lot more to grow. Um, but I do one thing. I do leadership, and I do that really well. But there's always room to grow. But I then I said one day, you know, Blue, you're 76. You made all the mistakes. So you are an expert because those are learning opportunities. And you just uh, demonstrated not only openness to learn, but the transparency about it. Now, we're in a kind of a, a an anxious culture unprecedented challenges. Uh, we're recording this in early part of 2023. You might be listening to this years later, but there's ups and downs in, in this cycle, but but we always have some turmoil and we always have some unprecedented cha challenges. And you work with uh, leaders that are maybe in some sectors that are more challenging. The frontline front line, uh, leaders include clergy in my, in my mind, not only the uh, police and fire and, and other rescue workers, but clergy have some dangerous, dangerous jobs in many different ways. So what are the leaders that you work with in any sector? What do they value about what you bring that they can put into practice to deal with some of these challenges? Well, I think part of it is uh, kind of subjective and feeling oriented. And then a, a bigger part, the way they, they can justify paying me is uh, specific results. On the subjective side, uh, you know, I did a video once at the encouragement of clients to talk about my work, and I sent it out to a few key people that I wanted to get their feedback. They were my clients. They know me well, and they uniformly were not happy about my video. <laughs> they said, you know, you're using all these buzzwords, and, and you're not really talking about who you are. And uh, so I did a new one, and it's actually on, on, on one of my websites now. And in it, I say, I'm not your rent-a-friend. You know, uh, all too often, we attract counselors into our lives who tell us what we want to hear. And uh, uh, as you know from, from my website, my primary value is that I'm an interruption. I'm an interruption to attitudes, habits, and behaviors that, that aren't working for the individual. I'm not telling them how to act, but I am holding the mirror up to take a look at what's working and not working in, in your life. And that's my value, is to be a faithful mirror, not a funhouse mirror, not a distortion, and certainly not a rent-a-friend, I agree with everything you say, uh, you know, let's go share a beer guy. I'm not that guy. I become very close to my clients, interestingly. By not being a rent-a-friend, I become a deep friend. Uh, and one that uh, people can count on. And I, th I think that's uh, somewhat key to what I do is that uh, I, I, I listen carefully and I have, uh, uh, I have this weird combination of actual business experience. I mean, we had 240 people in 15 training centers around Asia and uh, 70 full-time experiential trainers, uh, you know, 1500 clients, corporate clients. So uh, I've run a business. I've succeeded and failed at that and learned from all of it, uh, hopefully. Uh, but on the other side of things, I, yeah, I, 
I mean, in the early days, I led all of our programs because that's what you do as an entrepreneur. But uh, pretty soon it got too big for me to do that. And so my work was primarily in selecting and then training trainers and then monitoring their efforts. In, uh, I've often said that the only unique role of a leader is the creation, the uh, communication and the maintenance of an aligned purpose, vision and values for the company or for the organization. And uh, that maintenance piece being the most important. You know, if somebody violates your values, do you look the other way or do you fire them? It, it comes down to those kinds of choices. And in doing all of that, what I learned was about the human condition, beginning with me, but also then extending to my team and into our work, where uh, I've learned a lot about what it takes to shift someone off of attitudes, habits, and behaviors that don't work, and how to recognize, acknowledge, and build on those beliefs that do work. Uh, I think that is, uh, part of that is life experience and the unique roles that I've been in. And part of it, frankly, is, uh, uh, I don't know how to say it exactly, but I'll, I'll stumble and say a gift from, from God. It, it's just part of me. It's part of like my cellular structure. And I can't take credit for it because it's just there. I get it. I get it. That's that's profound. So you mentioned your website. So let's let's pick it up a minute. It's therobertwhite.com. Now, people that are listening on the podcast, you can't see it, but you can go look at it yourself, the T-H-E robertwhite.com. And you know, there's um there's a lot of good stuff in here, but on the front page, you mentioned Don De John Denver. Robert gave me a clearer sense of what my life is about, what is possible, and what incredible gift life is, and more and more and more and more. John Denver, you got Rupert Murdoch. Um, you got some really good quotes on here. But on the resources page, um, you have a gift for people. You got to go down to the bottom of the page. You can connect and learn from Robert by enrolling in the freakly, free weekly, <laughs> that's freakly, free weekly email <laughs> extraordinary Minutes. Tell us about extraordinary minutes. When I click on that, it takes me to you know it's twenty-eight page success guide. Tell us about that free gift. Well, the the uh, extraordinary minutes are uh, an idea, something I've read, something I saw in a video, some life experience, something that I learned from someone else, and then my comments on it, all designed to be read in one minute or less. So it's it's kind of aimed at uh, busy people to uh, put something in their email inbox once a week that is positive, uplifting, and might make them think a bit. And uh, the, the success guide is something that came out of some research we did years ago on the personal growth side of things. Uh, we had a 100% money back guarantee, Hugh. If you went to the seminar and you didn't get what you wanted out of it, uh, we gave you your money back. And over time, and again, uh, you know, over a million graduates, 1.7% uh, asked for a refund. And, uh, you know, we worked constantly to have that be lower. <laughs> we did find out that graduates would tell their friends about it. And then they would say, well, you can go to the seminar and didn't just tell them you didn't get any value and you get your money back. <laughs> that did happen. But I'm sure some people actually didn't get value. I mean, that, that happens in life. And, uh, uh, but I think our, a score of above 98% is pretty good score. Uh, 
And then I started noticing something. And that was that, uh, so a very high percentage got value, but some people took that value off the chart. You know, John Denver would be an example, but there were many others. And uh, uh, so I, I got curious. Why is it that everybody gets value? It's the same room. It's the same trainer. It's the same content, same exercises. Why is it that some people take it out and grab the gold ring? You know, just create incredible success. So we, we went out and interviewed them. We identified them, interviewed, interviewed a little over a thousand people. And what we learned was that those people came into the seminar with a certain set of principles that served them well to get the maximum value from the seminar. But it was because that's how they did life. So it was things like being clear on what you really want, uh, telling the truth. How's that one? Uh, fully expressing yourself, playing win-win instead of win-lose with the people in your life. These, and originally there were five principles that we identified. And then over time, we added three more and then we stopped. So that uh, 28 pager, that PDF that we offer free, and it's shareable, by the way, so you can share it with your, your friends and your, your board, your, con your congregation, uh, and I encourage you to do so, is built around those eight principles, where you get do a little self-assessment on how you're doing with each of them, and every one of them you already know. There is nothing new. I mean, how about being clear about what you want? Is that new to people <laughs> or telling the truth? <laughs> no, I think those are pretty common. And uh, 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 the last one, by the way, and the most important one is commitment, which is the basis of a lot of my work today. Um, so anyway, it's, a, it's, a, it's useful, it's free. I've rewritten it about 50 times. So you're gonna be seeing the latest version. <laughs> and it's, it's a, a concise way of whatever I've learned by working with hundreds of thousands of people and, and building organizations. We certainly can't do justice to your knowledge of the subject of leadership in a 25 minute interview. We're coming up to the end of that. We don't have a hard stop, but we start scaling down now. And um, and so there's a lot more people can learn. So they can start with that, go to therobertwhite.com and click on resources and sign up for that, that free resource. Uh, as we're closing, what's what's in the future? You know, we're got tumultuous times, things are unpredictable. What's what's the challenge for the future in leadership? I believe it's having it penetrate deeper into organizations that we are all leaders. You know, I, I've been doing a little exercise. Uh, I mean, I, I spent six years in China recently and uh, I spoke to more than 100,000 people. I did more than 20,000 in these high impact trainings. I went back to my roots in a way. And uh, I would ask people to uh, identify three leaders. And, uh, you know, they all scribble down three names, some from business, some from philosophy, some from re religion, some from whatever that they identified as leaders. And uh, the interesting thing, Hugh, is not one of them put their own name on that list. And yet what's called for today is that we are all, we must all lead. You know, that customer service person that actually solves your problem without checking with their boss, that's a leader. And that's what we need. We need leadership to penetrate down through every organization into our families, 
you know, the, uh, the women showing up at uh, school board meetings right now are maybe one of the most powerful leadership examples we could look at. You know, they're not accomplished public speakers. They don't dress exactly right. You know, there's nothing that, that, that argues for them being successful and they are changing the world beginning with their world. They're taking risks. They're, they're expressing themselves. They're passionate about what's happening with our kids. They're leading. I, I'm, I'm in awe of them. And that's the example, I think, that for leadership that we need to look at, that whether it be in our family, in our congregation, in our nonprofit, in for-profits, in our communities, lead, follow, or get out of the way. You've heard some really good sound bites and some really incredible things today, Robert White. Thank you for being our guest today on the Nonprofit Exchange. My great pleasure. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.